0: Welcome back to another season of the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelines.com. And this season, I am joined by the one, the only, Kelly Ford. Kelly, thanks for joining me. And how are you doing today?
1: Hey, Brett. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Excited to be part of the team this year. I'm doing great, man. Every single time we do one of these conference previews, it means we are that much closer to actual college football games. So much going on off the field this summer. I'm just excited for the games to get here. And we are very, very close now. Yeah,
0: everyone get the house projects out of the way this weekend, get the f- friends and family gatherings out of the way this coming weekend, because we got week zero in uh, one one week from Saturday. I can't believe it. It's almost here. I'm so excited for it. But today, we are here breaking down our final conference, the SEC. There's a lot to cover, so let's just get right into it. And up front, I'm going to be honest. I have no positions on the SEC, that be win totals or conference futures. So take that as you may, but it's still a fascinating league. It is still the tops in college football. And I want to start with the top team in college football, and that's the George Bulldogs. They are currently the odds-on favorite to win the SEC. And I know we hear people say odds-on a lot, but what does that mean exactly? Oftentimes it's, it's thrown around wrong. Odds-on means you are greater than 50% to win. So we're looking at minus 110, minus 115 here for the George Bulldogs. I have a proposition right up front. I want to get interesting up front. I want to get your thoughts on this. Instead of just betting them to win the SEC outright, which minus 110, minus 115, you're basically betting sides here, you could, FanDuel offers, exactas, to take a position on Georgia to beat Alabama, Georgia to beat LSU, and Georgia to beat Texas A&M, which is plus uh, 400, I believe, is the Alabama one. Yep, plus 400, plus 600 to beat LSU, and plus 1,500 to beat Texas A&M. I guess just when I say Alabama, LSU, A&M, just off the top of your head, what do you think about that? Are there any other SEC West teams I'm really omitting from there that you think have a legitimate chance?
1: No, if we're looking at SEC West and uh, the teams that have the best chances, those are the teams for me. Um, so an exacta, Brett, that works like if they were to potentially face them in the conference championship game. Is that right? Because obviously none of these teams are actually on Georgia's 12-game regular season schedule.
0: Yeah, it, it would be Georgia to beat Alabama is the exact verbiage. So you have to get the Georgia victory as well. But again, instead of betting minus 110 on that, you could bet at 4-1, to 6-1, to one, and 15-1 to one, and do a little bit of mathematics on that, and you're going to come out ahead if any of those three options exist. And if you're a, a firm you know, non-believer in Texas A&M, which we'll talk about the Aggies later on,
1: then you can even drop that last one and just go Georgia to beat Alabama and Georgia to beat LSU. I'm with you. Okay, see, I'm showing, I know we said it at the top of one of our first and maybe a couple of our previews. I don't bet college football. I can't do it because of my day job with the Horizon League. And so when we're talking about some of these betting terms, I'm still coming up to speed on some of that. I get you now. That makes total sense. Yeah, Brett, I would actually just drop Texas A&M there because all they're doing is maybe hurting your, your, you're having to pay up front there. I would just drop them because according to my numbers, and I know we're going to get into it a little bit, Chances to win the SEC West right now. the uh, Numbers will be updated and finalized next week. Uh, of course, right before week zero, as you mentioned, 65% chance that Alabama gets to, to Atlanta from the West. 31% chance for LSU. That leaves a 2% chance for Texas A&M. I mean, that is, yeah, there's a chance, a 2% chance, 1% chance for Ole Miss, and less than a 1% chance then for Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Auburn. So if we're talking about these exactas, which, again, I'm, I'm, I'm up to speed now. I get, I get what we're talking about. I would do Alabama and LSU because the combined chances of those two getting there are uh, overwhelming when looking at the other SEC West contenders. Yeah, I just like throwing out alternative
0: ways to attack these kind of things instead of just going and putting a full unit down on Georgia at uh, minus money there. But in the national landscape of things, I mean, this is the two-time defending champion, they've kind of waffled back and forth. And what I mean by waffled is that I I aggregate a lot of respected power ratings to get my own power ratings and, and assess things that way. And they've kind of gone back and forth with Ohio State all offseason long. But now, with the latest update, which just happened uh, Monday, Georgia's back at number one. And I anticipate them to maintain that heading into week one. We're past the point of roster turnover with Georgia. We, we just are. It's now a reload team. They're along the lines of the Alabamas and Ohio States we've seen for the past decade plus. I think Georgia's position to be the Alabama dynasty, I suppose, of the 2020s. They seem, you know, it's off to a pretty pretty dang good start. Sounds like Carson Beck is going to be the leader to be quarterback one over Brock Vandergriff and others. Uh, he was the primary backup last year. He's a bit more experienced and a little bit older. I don't know that it really matters all that much because he's got a ton of skill, cores to work with. If you are looking at the running back room, though, it's a little bit thinned out. Kendall Milton has struggled with injury all offseason long. He missed all of spring camp. Uh, Trying to get healthy again. Branson Robinson, who is a potential contributor, was also injured this summer. So we're already dealing with a couple of injuries up front as that news kind of trickles out. It's kind of difficult to find. But the wide receiver room, extremely talented. They added Ra-Ra Thomas in the the transfer portal along with Dominic Lovett of Missouri. Uh, Lovett was the number three wide receiver transfer according to 247 Sports. The offensive line, stud. They have multiple, multiple NFL draft selections here. Ranks number one nationally according to Phil Steele and Athlon Sports. Seems like that's the consensus group think is that uh georgia has the best offensive line units now i want to throw something out here as well and we'll talk about heisman on a on a future upcoming episode here but i bet brock bowers 81 to win heisman no tight ends ever won it what do you think maybe uh,
1: eighty to 81 one's a long shot right so i mean you're taking yeah. that into account here but the fact that no tight ends ever won it Might actually serve Brock Bowers well here. Voters, whether they say it or not, I think they're always maybe looking for a first or a new or something unprecedented. And I do think, you know what, Brad, I know we're going to talk about it on a future preview. But if you're looking at how how, how does the Heisman Trophy get voted on? Like, who, who are they targeting? Who are they looking for? To me, if you're looking at, I mean, Georgia's going to be overwhelming favorites in all their games this year, so they're likely going to be sitting there at 12-0 at the end of the regular season going into Atlanta. They could just pick, you know what, we're going to go with the best player on the best team, and we know this is an offensive award, so no disrespect to any Georgia defensive players. I personally disagree with, the, with that, but it is what it is. The Heisman voters vote for offense. Brock Bowers. Could be, I think he probably is the best offensive player on that team, at least as we stand right now in August coming into the year. Uh, he's in the top five, top ten of all the all the mock drafts of the NFL for next year uh, in, in the first round. So, yeah, if you're looking for the best player on offense, on the best team at the end of the year, Brock Bowers does kind of make sense. The fact that no Titans ever won it might just be a cherry on top that actually helps him in the end. And... That that's the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, I don't really need to say
0: much about it. We all know about it. It's going to be a top unit nationally. Once again, they returned seven starters from last year. Michael Williams, absolute freak. Jamon Dumas Johnson, All-American candidate. Best safety duo in the country. I think healthy margin. Malachi, Star- uh, Malachi Starks, pardon me, and uh, Javon Bullard. It, it's just... It's another, it's another unit. We thought that they couldn't top the highs of 2021. And maybe statistically, they did not last year. But talent-wise, they were right there neck and neck. And I think this year, they just go ahead and reload. And it's the same old, same old with Georgia.
1: Yeah, you said there's not much to be said about the defense. I'll take it a step further, Brett. I don't think there's much more to say about Georgia that hasn't already been said by you or by the national media or really anybody talking with their friends about college football. I mean, these are the two-time reigning national champs And they are well-positioned by my numbers and by many out there to be the first three-peat champions that we have at the FBS level since Minnesota did it way back in the mid-1930s. I mean, it's been 90 years almost since we've seen a three-time champion at the highest level of college football. And you said maybe they didn't top it statistically in 2022 compared to 2021, Brett. As I'm looking at my historical numbers, Georgia, unsurprisingly, finished the year power-rated number one for me each of the last two years. They had a rate percentile rating of 99.7 in 2021 and a 99.8 in 2022. So I actually, by my numbers, what's that, what that saying, Brett, is they were more dominant relative to the rest of the college football field, FBS field in 2022 than they were in 2021. And, Wins and losses don't necessarily drive a power rating. It's not necessarily – they don't at all, actually. But I think that's reasonable for folks to understand saying 2022 was more dominant since they actually did lose a game. Some people do forget the SEC championship game against Alabama in 2021. Of course, they got the revenge in the national championship game against the Crimson Tide. But for me, Brett, since 2017, Georgia's finished the year power rated number four, number three, number five twice, and then each of the past two seasons, number one, as I just mentioned – I have the dogs again, number one coming into this year, number six projected offense and number two defense behind only Iowa right now, by my numbers, the defense, as you said, going to be ridiculously good. The offense, they are dealing with some turnover, but I expect them still to be a top 10 unit this year and to get themselves rolling. They're going to ease into their schedule uh, and really not be challenged uh, of any significance until the end of the year. Um, The schedule is only the 54th most difficult in the country by my numbers. There's a couple of reasons for that because Everyone's got an opinion on Georgia's schedule. So here's how I kind of boil it down. Georgia Tech, uh, it's an annual rivalry game for them, and I absolutely love that they're playing the rivalries. We're losing more and more of that in college football. I love to see the preserved. But Georgia Tech is and has been for a while a down program. So you're not going to get any credit in a schedule difficulty rating by playing Georgia Tech year in and year out. Georgia had a non-conference game against Oklahoma that was originally scheduled for this year with a return game next year. But because Oklahoma's moving to the SEC next year, they were asked to scrap that home-and-home since it's going to be a conference game in 24. The East is weaker than the West, and that's that's a fact. When you look at power ratings and historically here, Georgia plays the full East. They don't play the full West. And the final piece here, Brett, is Georgia does not, quote, get to play itself. All these other teams in the SEC East, their schedule difficulty gets bolstered by a game either at home or on the road or, in Florida's case, a neutral site against Georgia. Georgia's the best team in the country, they can't play themselves, so by that nature, they're not able to then get that bump in the schedule difficulty. So, both of these things are true in my eyes. Georgia is projecting as the best team in the country, from a power rating standpoint. Georgia also has a relatively weak schedule by Power 5 standards. Like, both of those things are true, and I don't think one detracts from the other, necessarily. There's still a 45% chance that Georgia goes 12-0 and uh, in the regular season against this, their schedule, and that is a greater percent chance than any other team would have to go undefeated against Georgia's schedule because they are my number one power-rated team.
0: Yeah, and that's really important to note, both of those things. Number one, that the Georgia's, Alabama's, Ohio State's, Michigan's at all cannot play themselves. So you can't ding them for that kind of schedule. And the fact that it really is important that both things can and are true. Georgia is, coming into this year, the best team in the country, and they don't play a schedule that's really going to challenge them all that much. Now, I see two games, I think, with any sort of intrigue on that schedule. At Auburn, at Tennessee, those are a couple I look at like, oh, okay, might might be all right. Then, you know, they host Ole Miss, South Carolina, Kentucky. Maybe those are the next closest games ish?
1: Yeah, Brett, I'm right there with you. Uh I have Georgia favored by 17 and a half in every game this year except for at Tennessee. Which I currently have as a 10 point uh, spread in favor of the Bulldogs. So there's a 76% win expectancy for Georgia at Tennessee. There's an 89% win expectancy for Georgia at Auburn in their first, or excuse me, their second SEC game of the year, but their first road trip of the season. That's in week five. Those are the only two games all year why I have a win expectancy of less than 90% in any given game for Georgia. That's why when we're talking, you talk about their odds to win the SEC, we're talking about their odds to make the CFP. Like they're way up there, I've got it with a ninety percent chance to win the East. It would be a huge surprise for me if Georgia is not in Atlanta once again this December, just
0: to compare notes, I don't have Georgia's uh under a ninety percent win expectancy in any of their home games. Uh, I have seventy point four percent win expectancy at Tennessee, so a little bit lower on you than that, but still you know seven out of every ten times you can expect Georgia to win and then eighty seven and a half percent at Florida that's or versus Florida that's the next closest I have, but I also think that Florida is vastly overrated in these preseason numbers. So I I would take that, that 87 and a half and and we'll talk a little bit more about Florida here in the coming future. But I want to talk about the top team, at least projecting from the West, the top team for the past upteen years, the Alabama Crimson Tide many people. And I I can't emphasize this enough. Sharp people are fading Alabama this year. I, I guess I could see why I don't really know whether quarterback I don't know who's the most sound choice for them, exactly. Is their choice any good? Jalen Milrow, he's reportedly the favorite right now. He's a great runner. Uh, I think he's average, below average passer. And I don't think that they have a wide receiver core that can really uh, carry him along with that. If you look at quarterback performance in their spring game, uh, between Milrow and Ty Simpson, they were sacked nine times in that spring game. And that's a testament to the offensive line not playing very well. It's a testament to the pass rush being really, really good across the way. But, you know, quarterbacks do take some responsibility in sacks. And you can look at that. PFF has uh, stats about how many sacks you can attribute to a quarterback. Maybe holding on to the football a little bit too long. But I think we're going to see more 2011-2012 Alabama out of this squad. I think they're going to be run heavy with Jason McClellan, Roydell Williams, Justice Haynes. Really terrific backfield. Uh, like, awesome, awesome backfield. Bunch of electric athletes, high high uh, recruits, and, and some bruisers there. The offensive line ranks fourth in the SEC per per Phil Steele. I guess that's kind of a half step back from what we've seen before. Uh, J.C. Lantham, Seth McLaughlin, those are coveted NFL players. Caden Proctor was among one of the top recruits in the country, and they flipped him from Iowa. I know that was a huge, huge win uh, for the Tide. But like I said, I have some real questions about the receiving core. This is not the 2017, 2018, 2019 room. Ja'Cory Brooks, probably the leader there, uh, but he's very good, but he's not that top, top top-level receiver like Alabama's had for many, many years. Although Phil Steele is actually impressed with this receiver room. He ranks them 7th nationally. I'm not sure I'm there uh, with that. Uh, notably, they hired Tommy Reese, at offensive coordinator. He brought down Tyler Buckner with him. Uh, and, and Buckner is not winning the QB battle right now. So that's that's probably a little bit of an awkward conversation between the two. Defense, it's going to be nasty again. Uh, I, I think we're going to see a return to some of these top-tier Alabama defenses. Dallas Turner, I want to mention, is a breakout star. Kool-Aid McKinstry, one of the top two Maybe, maybe one DBs in the entire country. Caleb Downs, too. True freshman coming into this year. Five-star safety. One of the top players in the nation. I think he's a true superstar in the making. Minka Fitzpatrick level. That's the kind of production I see from this player coming out here. Uh, And then they also lost defensive coordinator Paul Golding to uh, Ole Miss. But this is Saban's defense. He's revolutionized the way that defense is being played. Not just in college football, but among the high school ranks and more. So, you know, whatever. They
1: stole him. But what do you think about Alabama this year? You said it's still Saban's defense. You're saying sharp, many people, including sharp people, are fading Alabama this year, and Saban's still there. Like to, That's what it boils down to for me. I know Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs. We just talked about them. They've won the past two national championships with some of the best teams that we've seen fielded in college football really in a very long time, if not ever, in terms of their dominance relative to the rest of the field. But Nick Saban, to me, continues to be the undisputed greatest college football coach of all time. That doesn't mean that Kirby Smart can't ultimately get into that conversation or maybe even surpass him if he keeps doing what he's doing. I'll be very curious to see what happens you know, as the SEC moves away from divisions and just seeing what that does. I'm not saying that's going to knock Georgia off their perch, but their road, they're not going to have the 54th most difficult schedule anymore once we get out of divisions in the SEC moving forward. So... We'll see, but the fact that we're calling two consecutive years without a national championship at Alabama, a drought only underscores my point, right? Like any other program in the country you would say, oh, it's been two years, since they won a national championship. They'd be thrilled and excited at Alabama, the sky is falling. So it's also important to remember for people here, like I put it into context, the Georgia schedule, let's put it into context, the Alabama 2022 season. They were a last second field goal at Tennessee and an overtime two point conversion at LSU away from being 12-0 and headed to Atlanta with a spot in the CFP likely already secured by that point in the season. Instead, the Tide finished a, quote, disappointing, granted by their standards, which are very high, 10-2, and missed out on the CFP for only the second time since 2014. So I'm not making excuses for Alabama. They played those games. They were phenomenal games. Those are the type of games that get me going in college football and that make me still believe that the smaller the CFP field the more magnitude those games have because I promise you in a 12-team field Alabama's getting in and I know that's not what we're talking about today but Alabama's getting in and no one's going to want to see Alabama including Georgia the team who everyone says including myself was the best team in college football last year so I'm just saying as we move forward into the 12-team future those types of games that register as 10 on the on the magnitude scale of the regular season, maybe they don't register as 10. It's not going to take anything away from Tennessee. still going to feel great about winning that game. They're still going to store on the field. LSU still going to feel great. They're still going to store on the field. It's still big time, but the consequences for losing just don't hold the same weight moving forward. So that's why I'm excited again here for the 2023 season, our final year of four. That was a tangent. Back to Alabama. Uh, the Tide have finished, speaking of four, in the top four of my year-end power ratings each year for more than a decade now. I mean... Basically, as long as Saban's been there, minus his first year, 2007, kind of getting his feet under him, getting that program where he wanted to be. Since 2008, this has been a top-four team in the country year in and year out. This season isn't projecting to be any different. I've had the Tide coming in at number three this year behind only Georgia and Ohio State. Uh, tide are projecting to have a top-five offense and a top-ten defense. So you're saying the defense is going to be nasty again. You think I'm going to get back to the top level. Right now, I'm actually projecting the offense to be a little bit higher. I hear you about the the uh, wide receiver corps. I hear I hear you about you know a new quarterback. I get it. Proven commodities and just the plug and play. I'm still giving the benefit of the doubt really to both sides of the ball, but the offense kind of getting it more right now. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the defense ends up um, that unit ranked more highly relative to the respective defensive units than Alabama's offense at the end of the year. Unlike Georgia though, this is the big difference. Alabama faces one of the most difficult schedules in the nation this year. It's actually number six by not by my numbers. However, there's only two games in which my numbers project Alabama to even be a single digit favorite. That's week two against Texas, who I know everyone says is overrated. My numbers like Alabama by about nine in that game. And then week 10, it's a revenge game uh, for Alabama. They get LSU at home. Both teams coming off a bye as they always are. Makes for a, such a great game. I currently like the tighten in that one by about eight. Um, but there's still, even though they're favored in every single game, and only two of them are less than, than a 10-point spread, there's only a 16% chance by my numbers that Alabama actually finishes 12-0, and 0, with 11-1 and 1 being the most likely final record But even with all that, I mentioned it at the top, 65% chance for Alabama to reach Atlanta. The Tide are my preseason favorite in the West, and I just don't see it changing really for as long as Nick Saban's there, if we're being completely honest. No,
0: and I'm also not sure that I'm ready to take under 10, under 10.5 like a lot of people are. Again, I don't like being on the wrong side of the fence from the Sharp community as a whole. But I, yeah, I just, I just don't know if I'm ready to, to, to fade them. And that number has been between 10 and 10 and a half. This off season kind of depends when, when you took your temperature. I think right now it's at 10 and a half fan duel with a uh, lots of juice to the under. So I definitely wouldn't lay that. And like you said, the schedule, of course is tough. They play in the sec West. That's, that's the most arduous division of college football. Hands down. They host Texas in week two. I have them for like 10.3 wins, which is top in the sec West but it's definitely not lower enough or, or or under their win total enough for me to actually bet that under. So again, Fade Nick Saban and Fade Alabama at your own peril. Uh it hasn't worked out very often uh recently. So, but their top contender, their top rival, I suppose, budding rivalry is is LSU, the LSU Tigers. You can find them as long as 5 to 1 to win the SEC. Uh they're the last team before you get into, like, real long-shot territory, 10-1 to 1 or longer. I would say Brian Kelly exceeded expectations year one. There were some solid expectations, but, you know, he still surpassed those. And you can count, like you mentioned, that quote-unquote lucky win versus Alabama in overtime. They only had a 45% post game win expectancy for LSU. But you offset that by whatever the heck happened week one against Florida State, which is certainly not repeatable whatever that blocked extra point at the end was. And then they also lost to Texas A&M the final week of the year. And I know that's a rivalry, but, like, you can't lose to an at-the-time four and seven Texas A&M when, when you're kind of on the CFP door knocking. Uh, Jane Daniels, he's he's one of this year's legitimate Heisman contenders. They uh, landed running back Logan Diggs from the portal. Uh, he comes down from Notre Dame. Otherwise, like like other te- like other uh, Georgia, their, their running back room is already getting thin with injuries. Josh Williams has been banged up in camp. He's been in and out. The offensive line is inexperienced. They have two sophomores projected to start, but both of them did start last year. As true freshmen, I know that was a big point of concern for people at Dallas and It worked out okay. Man, I'm excited for this defense. They returned Mason Smith from injury last year. If you're not uh, attuned to Mason Smith, boy, I'm letting you know right now. He he is an absolute beast of a man. They also have Harold Perkins, who's maybe the best all-around college football player this year. And then they jumped to the, ta- uh, the, the portal for talented starters. All Pac-12 linebacker Omar Spates. Uh, FCS, he was a top 25 transfer according to 247 Sports. Zai Alexander, he's a corner. All ACC corner, Deuce Chestnut, the number two overall transfer in Denver Harris. I mean, they just went through and just had, had their way with the transfer portal. It, it was ranked number one most useful class according to Bill Connolly where he goes in and looks, see who projects to start, and actually makes some noise with them. And then uh, three players and their front seven were were named to the all-SEC preseason team. So I'm excited for this offense, but I think this could be potentially a top handful unit, top five defensive unit nationally, at least with the amount of talent that they have on there. But in your uh, estimation, with your numbers, is LSU a legitimate contender to win the SEC West again and compete for the CFP?
1: Yeah, to answer the question directly, Brett. I think they are. Like I said, it's a 31% chance that they win the SEC West and make it to Atlanta. I have LSU with a 16% chance to make the college football playoff. That is 8th best in the entire country. So, yes, LSU, you mentioned it, uh, arrived a little bit earlier ahead of schedule. I would agree with you. Let's go back a little bit. After winning the national championship in 2019 with one of the best teams that college football seen in a very long time, Things got a little sideways in Baton Rouge. The, the Tigers finished the COVID-disrupted 2020 season power rated number 37 in my numbers. And then they finished number 41 in 2021, ultimately leading to Ed Orgeron's dismissal, of course, and, and we know how that all went. I believed Brian Kelly was a good hire. Like when, when he was hired, people, and remember there was the, you know, did he fake an accent? Uh, what well, He was dancing on the video with the recruit. I mean, there were all these things swirling. And at the end of the day... I was like, Brian Kelly's a good hire. He knows what he's doing. He's he's going to be able to to translate what he did at Notre Dame, bring it down to LSU, and maybe have a different caliber of of, of athlete or student athlete to compete with in the SEC, which he's going to need. They were it was exciting at the time. My numbers were skeptical though of the amount of success he would have in year one because of what LSU had been for the previous two years. And again, take 2020 with a grain of salt. I was still projecting just 6.8. Regular season wins last year. Of course, LSU went on to win nine regular season games. They finished the year power-rated number nine in my ratings. So you talked about some of those games that they lost last year. Again, win-loss records aren't going into this. It's how did you play in the games that you played against the the quality of opponent that you played at the location of the game you played. Number nine is where they ended. I mean, that's phenomenal based on the previous two years being outside the top 35. I'm bought in this year. I said they're a legitimate threat in the SC West. They're a legitimate threat in the CFP. I'm projecting 9.4 average wins this year. And the Tigers are my number five preseason team in the power ratings with a projected top 10 offense, top 15 defense, just like Alabama. I could see very easily the defense actually being the stronger of the two units by the end of the year. Like any SEC West team, the schedule is projecting to be one of the most difficult in the nation. It's number 10 by my numbers to be exact. To make matters worse for LSU, their three most difficult games, Brett, at least by my numbers right now as they're projecting, all away from home. Week one, they start out right out the gate. Neutral site in Orlando against Florida State. Week five at Ole Miss. And week 10 at Alabama, which is the only game in which my numbers are projecting the Tigers to be an underdog at this time. LSU beat Alabama in a classic last year. We talked about that. I'm assigning just a 28% chance for LSU to pull the upset this year in Tuscaloosa. I think that I think that makes a big difference. Where this game is played, this crowd is going to be excited. I know we saw a little bit of that uh, this past year with Alabama getting Texas A&M at home after they had been upset by the Aggies the year before, and it didn't go super swimmingly for Alabama. They won the game, but it wasn't by as much or as convincing as people thought. So there is that possibility, but I still think Alabama is going to prove to be a very stiff test for LSU uh, on the road. 31% chance to win the West, like I said. 10-2 and two is the most likely record for me right now, a 48% chance that LSU wins 10-plus regular season games.
0: I'll be honest, I think betting anybody outside of these top three teams we've talked about, it's foolhardy. You can go ahead and maybe put a flyer on somebody else, but we say this a couple of times on the show, you're donating to your local sports book at that point. Maybe the math checks out and says, well, you know, I'm getting a half a percent at the sports book, and my numbers say 2%, but, like, let, let, let's be real here. I, let's take the 98% into account. But I'm also not really excited to bet any of these three teams either. There's a high VIG, there's a high hold here. I just don't – I'm not betting Georgia at, at minus numbers. Uh, Alabama's like 5-2. to two. I'm just not really excited there. And maybe LSU 5-1, to one, but realistically, I think that the best of the numbers are, are behind LSU because the market is onto them. They, they know they're a darn good football team, and that's just – that's kind of where I fall in terms of betting the conference outright. Uh, of course, other people have different opinions, but that's just kind of where I sit. But I want to talk about, uh, I think, even a bigger surprise last year uh, than LSU – Tennessee Volunteers, they were unranked in the preseason AP poll, and they were a torn ACL to Henan Hooker away from making the college football playoff, in my opinion there. Henan Hooker was actually on my Heisman long shot watch list last year, so that was kind of fun. And we'll talk about the Heisman in a future episode because there's some fun criteria that some people fit. But, oh boy, it is Joe Milton time this year. Uh, I am, I'm all aboard the Joe Milton train. He's number one in returning EPA among quarterbacks, minimum hundred snaps, air yards per attempt and touchdown rate leads all the returners in that category. I actually bet Joe Milton to win the Heisman at uh, 20 to one, 25 to one. Pardon me. I, I think he's, I think he's awesome. I, I love his gunslinger mentality. Uh, here's a name to watch, by the way, people are talking about brew McCoy and, and transfer Dante Thorne squirrel white. I'm just putting his name out there on your radar. 4.37 yards per route run. That is the most by a healthy margin among returning receivers. Yards per route run is an excellent, excellent indicator of receiver progression and success because it means every time you're running a route, how often are you getting the ball thrown to you and what are you doing with it? And just for comparison, Marvin Harrison Jr., the best wide receiver in college football, 3.15 yards per route run. Squirrel White, 4.37. There is a sizable gap. Like I said, they added Dante Thornton out wide. I think he's a very talented player from Oregon. He's definitely going to help the vols out quite a bit. They do need to replace some big names on the offensive line. They had a couple of NFL draft selections to depart. The defense returned seven starters. Really not as bad a unit, I, I think, as as we have have narrated or or that we remember. They were thirty eighth in points per drive, sixth in rush EPA allowed. Uh, I know they were fantastic against there, but one hundred sixteenth against bats. We'll, uh, we'll we'll gloss over that. They do return three of five starters in the secondary. I do think that that will help them this year, kind of progress on that end. And we'll see if they can defend the run as as well as they did last year. I I kind of doubt that. That's that's a pretty pretty high watermark there. One big issue here, they were 83rd in sack rate last year, and I'm not really sure if there's a dude up front on defense. So if I did have to express some sort of concern with the Vols defense, is that defensive front?
1: Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. If I'm looking at my unit rank rankings, about the offense projecting as top five, the defense right there in the low to mid thirty. So I uh, share your concerns. Also, the upside of Joe Milton, even though he has been beat out twice for a starting job, we'll we'll overlook that for now because I do think that the upside and the ceiling is there, especially in this hypo offense. I mean, you well, said it. Henan Hooker was beat out too at Virginia Tech. I, don't forget. I, that's why I'm not using it as a total discounter. I'm just stating facts. He has been beat out twice. People just. I like to mention things, Brett, that people seem to have forgotten in the moment. Not, not, not suggesting you have, I just, I hear all this stuff about Joe Milton and you know, he's got this awesome arm and he does. And oh my gosh, he's going to end up being a first round or, you know, top half of the first round draft pick because of these different things. He very well might be. And I'm not hoping that he's not by any means. I, I mentioned on a previous episode, I think some of my favorite fan bases on Twitter are, it was on the PAC 12 one, because I said, Utah and Tennessee, like, these fans, they absolutely love when you're, when my numbers are suggesting good things about their team. And when my numbers are suggesting something maybe not so good, they don't just completely trash it and tear it down. They they just move on. They, they scroll past it and they move on. Maybe they'll make a comment like, hey, tell me more about this. Or why do you think that? Or what's going on here? But it's not like, nope, they said something bad about my team. I'm done with them. It's over. Many fan bases are like that. So I don't want to have what I'm saying here be a slight at Tennessee. It's certainly not. Uh, I'm just saying... You know, he has been beat out a couple times. I'm certainly not suggesting it's going to happen again, but let's just, I like to take a step back and think holistically about players and teams before jumping into the hype. However, this team has warranted a bit of hype. Uh, I mean, you talked about, you know, LSU was a surprise last year. Well, what about Tennessee. What a season on Rocky Top last year for this team. They took down Alabama for the first time in forever. They finished number four in my year-end power ratings. That's the highest Tennessee has finished in my year-end power ratings since 1998 when they did win a national championship that year at Tennessee. Uh, It's remarkable what Heifel has done and honestly is still doing in Knoxville with this program They come into 2023 uh, season power rated number 11 nationally. I already talked about the the unit ranks. Offense should be phenomenal. The defense, I need to see a little bit, but I think they have the potential to be really, really good. Um, Alabama and Georgia, they're always on the schedule, or they they have been historically. I I think they're going to keep that moving forward. I'm really not sure what the 2024 schedule looks like, but they're on the schedule again this year, as they always are. That's going to make the schedule difficult, but those are the only two games right now in which I'm currently projecting Tennessee to be an underdog. Um, Now, granted, both of those games I'm projecting Tennessee to be double digit underdog. So it's somewhat significant, but at Florida home to A and M at Kentucky and at Missouri are also all projecting as one score games, uh, Tennessee's favored, but all those projecting to be uh, one score or less. and, that's what leads me to the 8.6 projected wins on average for Tennessee nine and three is the most likely again this is the 11th best team in the country you're playing a very tough schedule though uh 24 percent chance is all I'm giving about a one in four chance to match last year's uh regular season win total of 10 um Tennessee's the second best team in the division there's just an eight percent chance though that the Vols get to Atlanta because the balls excuse me get to Atlanta because of what we talked about it is Georgia. it is Alabama it is LSU. And then there's a pretty big drop in terms of a power rating standpoint before you get to Tennessee, who I have as the next best team in the SEC. But, man, they got to play Georgia. they got to play Alabama. It's going to be tough. If they can split it and go one and one like they did last year and then not drop a game that maybe they weren't expected to, I get the, the hooker injury, then they're right there again. And, hey, I had Tennessee at the end of last year, most deserving ranking going into Selection Sunday. I had them number five. That was ahead of Alabama, who I had at number six. I know the committee flipped those. I took issue with that. Um, ultimately it doesn't matter when you're talking about a 4 team CFP, but I thought Tennessee deserved to be ranked number 5 at the end of last year behind ultimately the four teams that made the CFP. You mentioned all those one score games. Tennessee went 3 and 0 in them last year, which it's a it's a smaller
0: sample size, like in my opinion 3 and 0 is repeatable. 6 and 1 is not repeatable. But I think 3 and 0 is something is you, you can't count on it. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. So if you're looking at you know being able to flip some of those one-score games, yeah, may, maybe there's a higher chance that they go over. You know, there's a couple of weird spots on this outside of Georgia and Alabama. They play at Kentucky after visiting Alabama. Kentucky's coming off a bye, Just saying watch out. I'm. I will talk about Kentucky here soon. And then the you mentioned it at Mizzou, they head into. Columbia before they go to play Georgia, that to me is a very trappy situation. If you're projecting a one-score game, ah, uh, that's something that I may lean to mark up as a loss in, instead of a win because that's just a that's a difficult situation. There's no easy spots in an SEC schedule, but if you're looking ahead to that Georgia game, that kind of you know cements it as like a, oh Tennessee's pretty good. I it, it wasn't as close as the final score would have told you, but. You go in it and, and you overlook Missouri and they'll, they'll go in there and they'll kick your behind because that's just the kind of team. They are They're They're a good pain in the butt. Um, yeah. It, it, t- tough spots, tough spots all over the place. <sighs> Ole Miss. We, we talked about some fan bases that are really nice to you. Ole Miss does not like me. They, their fan base does not like me. I was not a believer in this team at all last year. I think they were a bit fraudulent. I don't buy Jackson dart. I don't think he's nearly as good as his four-star, five-star, whatever transfer status was coming from USC. I think the quarterback room is an absolute mess. Uh, and I don't think it's a good thing that they have three guys in there that could start, and all three of them made it through spring. And I think Walker Howard is probably the better of the two lands between him and uh, Spencer Sanders that they got there. But they have three starting quarterbacks in the room. And I don't know that the best one is, is in line to start this year. I uh, I'll dial it back a little bit. That, that was a little bit mean to Jackson Dart, but it, it but it is truly how I believe. I, I don't think he's that great, but I think this team is going to run the absolute heck out of the football. Quinn on Judkins. Why wouldn't you 1500 yard rusher is a true freshman 5.7 to carry and 16 touchdowns. He overtook Zach Evans in that room and rushed for 1500 yards With Zach Evans, a five-star running back <laughs> in the same room. P- pretty good. If you ask me, the receiving core is also very good. So I don't even know if the quarterback needs to be excellent to be productive and win games. Because you have Zachary Franklin, one of my favorite players in the country, transfers in from UTSA. Kind of wish he would have stayed in San Antonio. They also land uh, Trey Harris from Louisiana Tech. Those are awesome group of five portal ads. Caden Prescorn, he's a tight end from Memphis. He was the talk of, of spring. He was an awesome portal grab for them as well. Four or five starters return on the offensive line. That's also a very deep group. They have a couple of other people that have rotated in as starters behind them. In I think they go seven, eight deep on the offensive line. The defense finished 96th in EPA per pass, so could do better there. And that cost them in a lot of games, giving up a ton of points here and there. And I think the schedule's the biggest issue. Per my numbers, they have the toughest road slate in the country. They visit Tulane, Alabama, Georgia, and that rivalry game at the end of the year at Mississippi State.
1: I'm going to get into the schedule in a second, Brett, because I agree with you on the difficulty there. As I have with other teams, I'd like to take a quick look back at the history. And I'm going to go a little bit farther back with Ole Miss than I have previously. I don't tend to think that 10 years ago makes a whole lot of difference in today's game. I mean, the players that are there, you're talking they were anywhere from 8 to 12 years old at this time. doesn't really matter. But Hugh Freeze, that's some interesting name now back in the SEC, had this program rolling on the field. About a decade ago, they had consecutive top 10 finishes in my power ratings in 2014 and 2015. Of course, we know there were the off the field issues then that led to a change in leadership, and Ole Miss finished anywhere between 38th and 60th in the five years of my year in power ratings from 2016 to 2020. Lane Kiffin shows up. His Rebels have finished 17th in 2021, 18th in 2022 and they are now projecting 17th coming into this year, led by a top-20 offense. I'm a little bit higher on Jackson Dart than you are, but as you said, even if it doesn't work out with Dart, got a couple other options there. Granted, if they're not the starters on day one, maybe that means uh, Kiffin and and staff don't think that they are the best, but... They have suitable options to come in if Dart were to struggle or get injured. So 17, 18, 17, I think we're starting to see kind of where water's finding its level, at least for me, with Lane Kiffin and this Ole Miss program. Could surprise us this year, good or bad, but that's kind of where they're really settling in within the hierarchy of power ratings in the SEC and nationally. My numbers are suggesting that this team this year should be more talented than last year's team. The problem is, and you mentioned it, Ole Miss faces the second most difficult schedule in the nation by my numbers behind only Florida. So the 2023 win total might not reflect the 2022 wins strictly because this schedule is so difficult. Schedule difficulty, of course, is due to having to play the West, which, as we've talked about, is the more difficult, of course, of the two divisions. They catch Georgia out of the East. And then they top it off with a tricky road game at Tulane. You mentioned that game. It is not often that you're going to get a Power 5 program going on the road to a place like Tulane, especially when the place like Tulane is coming off of the year that they just had, winning a New Year's Six Bowl. So last year, Tulane in the non-conference went up to Kansas State and got a win at a Power 5 team on the road. Now they're getting an Ole Miss team at home, and you best believe that crowd is going to be excited. Tulane's season in terms of – their hopes to potentially crash the CFP. I'm not suggesting they're going to, but that team and their fans, they should and are believing that we win that game. There's nothing stopping us from going 13-0 and putting our name in the conversation for a spot in the CFP this year. So there's gonna be a lot riding on that game for Tulane. It's a tricky spot maybe for, for Ole Miss having to go on the road. You look at Mercer before and Georgia Tech after. It's not necessarily a trap game by any means, but anytime you go on the road in college football, that's really, really tough. I'm projecting the Rebels to be underdogs in three games this year, at Alabama, home against LSU, and at Georgia. They have to play the three best teams, by my numbers, in the SEC. Uh, It's just it's incredibly difficult. I then have them as favorites by a field goal or less in three more games. That's at Auburn, uh, see Hugh Freeze from earlier home against Texas A&M and at Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving, a game that I know you absolutely love, Brett, as do I, a game that I hope stays on Thanksgiving for a very long time. But that right there, we just I just mentioned three games in which they're underdogs and three games in which they are a field goal or less favorite. That's, that's half your schedule. So I could see realistically anywhere from 6-6 six and six to 9-3 and three for this team this year, 47% chance to match or exceed last year's regular season win total of eight. Going to be a good team, I think, playing a very, very difficult schedule and and let's not forget to mention that that Tulane
0: game that's an age old sec rivalry back when <laughs> back Tulane was in the sec
1: <laughs> that's right yep going way back i think when did they join maybe like in the i don't know if they joined when the conference started or sometime in the, the 20s or the 30s and then i think they left in like the early 60s maybe or somewhere around then but yes that's right yeah. old sec rivals
0: yeah it, i i don't think we're going to get the same schedule layout with uh, Ole Miss that we got last year, they started off seven and zero, and they were climbing up into the top ten. They were number nine when they played LSU. LSU wiped the floor with them, and then we saw they picked it up against Texas A and M, but only won by a field goal. Like, again, A and M at that point, their season was tanks. They weren't really fighting for much but pride. Then they lose at Alabama, they lose at Arkansas, they lose against Mississippi State, and then they get their brains beaten by Texas Tech in in that bowl game. So they did not finish the year strong. And that leads me to ask, like, are we sure this team isn't just going to implode again? I mean, their, their schedule is a lot more balanced, I should say. There's opportunities for losses earlier in the year than there were last year. But this is a team to me that they don't pick themselves up off the floor once they lose. When they lose, looking at their schedule, you know, they play at Alabama in week four. And then they host LSU in week five to be three and two. Playing Arkansas, who they've had some fun back-and-forth games recently. If you go into the bye 3-3, three and three, I don't know if this team is going to pick themselves up off the floor. And that's a little bit more narrative-driven. It's not data-driven, but I don't think we're going to get that you know snowballing effect of 7-0 and when
1: people think that Ole Miss is some sort of world-beater. But that's just kind of how I see it. Going into Vanderbilt in week nine. I'll give you best case, worst case for Ole Miss, I think. Going into the Vanderbilt game in week nine. Best case scenario, one, two, three, four, five, six, six and one, maybe. They're losing either at Alabama or home to LSU. Six and one going into Vanderbilt, then Texas A&M, Georgia, ULM, Mississippi State. Worst case scenario, Brett, as you're saying this and I agree with you. Worst case, this team could be one, two, and one, two, three, four, five. They could be two and five going into Vanderbilt in week nine if they lose at Tulane, in which I have them as a five-point favorite. At Alabama, underdog. Home to LSU, underdog. Home to Arkansas, favored by about a touchdown. And then at Auburn, favored by about two points. You lose all the games in which you're an underdog or projected to win by a touchdown or less. You'd be two and five heading into Vanderbilt. And yeah, you're right. They could get off the rails quickly. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's best case, worst case, looking at it by my numbers, which that's kind of a fun game. We should do that more often. Best case, worst case at a certain point. I do in the like that.
0: I I do like that. If you've got those in front of you, I I do like that. I love that. Uh, Speaking of worst-case scenarios versus best-case scenarios, a stark difference between – I kind of lumped these two teams together. I want to kind of do a segment on both of them, but we'll take them one at a time. That being the Texas A&M Aggies and the Florida Gators. I see these two teams a little bit similarly, in different ways, but I think they could end up very similar. Texas A&M, they needed stability. They needed improvement on offense. So what they do, they hired Bobby Petrino, which what a powder keg. It's, I mean, let's let's be honest here. A and M's been kind of a circus of a program lately. They've been difficult to look away from, but entertaining nonetheless, headline worthy, I guess. And bringing in Bobby Petrino's not exactly putting out the fire. Uh, I think this is gonna be fun to watch either way, whether they're really good or really bad. It, it, the other thing, too, is like Jimbo Fisher, weirdly non-committal to who's calling the plays this year. Uh, he said, well, I haven't gone that far yet. Well, Jimbo himself sucks at it. We've seen what happens when you leave Jimbo Fisher in charge of the offense. Very bad things happen in this team under Chiefs. However, I do like their quarterback, Connor Wegman. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions last year in limited time. That pretty good stat line, I think. Uh, he's a five-star that they're very excited about. He works with Anaya Smith, Evan Stewart, some really good talent there. But they do lose starting tight end Donovan Green to injury that he sustained in camp. He's done for the season. The offensive line returns all five starters. And the defense, eh, it's still made up of studs. The defensive line might be one of the best. I'll, I'll say save for Georgia, the best in the SEC, I think. A ton of talent, Shamar Stewart and those guys. They also land Tony Grimes, a corner from UNC, who you might say, oh, wow. Well, that sucks. No, he was an all-ACC selection. He was one of the bright stars on a, on a not-so-bright defense. But a and talented, but a powder keg. What do your numbers say?
1: If you're watching this show, you are most likely either a friend or fan or family of Brett andor myself. So since we're amongst friends, I'm going to take a quick victory lap on a here. Relative to the rest of the college football masses last year, I had tempered expectations for a and in 2022. Many were suggesting the Aggies should be a top 10, maybe even a top five team. Remember, they were coming off of signing maybe the best signing recruiting class in the history of ever. And everyone, the hype train was rolling and A&M was going to make the CFP. They were one year removed from a 2020 COVID year in which they had one loss. And Jimbo Fisher said they should have been in. People thought they should have been in. My numbers were suggesting eight and four as the most likely record last year. And boy, did I take heat. From Aggie fans all summer leading right up to August, uh, really until about the second week of the season when things started to get sideways in College Station. So flash forward four months, my 8.1 projected wins uh, looked generous, I guess, uh, because, of course, the Aggies finished last year with just five regular season wins, failed to go bowling. And that minus 3.1 differential from preseason expectations to actual regular season wins was the eighth worst in the FBS last season, making the Aggies one of my biggest underachievers of the season, uh, even considering the relatively modest expectations I had. Many people said A&M was the most disappointing team last year. Just the fact that they were one of, for me, I think they were eighth most most disappointing or most biggest underachievers by my numbers, just goes to show how much I, how many question marks I had coming into last season. So... Taking that lap for a and now because their fans really got to me last year. And I was like, I don't really know what you guys want. This is just what the numbers say. And it turns out even I was being much too generous to the Aggies. You play last year, Brett, you play that season a hundred times. They probably win five or fewer games, like two or three. So it really was probably like worst case. But even though, even with that, they were closer to the eight win team I was suggesting than the 10 plus win team that it seems like most people were, were on last year. That's last year. This year, I am projecting this team to be significantly better. Uh, They entered this preseason number 16 after they finished last year number 36. So significantly better team. I'm still only projecting 7.7 wins, though. Last year was 8.1. I'm projecting fewer wins coming into this year than I did last year. But Aggie fans aren't as upset with me this year, even though I'm projecting less, because that's how low the expectations have now been brought down here in year one with Petrino and just the disaster that was 2022. 8-4 and is the most likely record for me yet again this year. It's a top-five most difficult schedule. The Aggies are projected underdogs in four separate games. They're home against Alabama, they're at Tennessee, they're at Ole Miss, and they're at LSU. And there's just a 9% chance to win 10-plus games for the Aggies this year. So I expect them to be better. Temper those expectations again. And I think they'll probably have a, re- a win-loss regular season record that is much more in alignment with what we probably should have seen last year based on talent. Um, it just got off the rails early, often. And you talk about Ole Miss maybe not being able to pull it back. Well, a and proved they could not last year. We'll see if this year's any different. People
0: might get mad at me for saying this, but Texas A&M has one of the best fan bases in the country. And I don't mean in terms of accommodating and being super nice and all those things, but like in terms of passion. I lived in Texas for a while. I went to a few Texas A&M games. And there is truly nothing like it in sports, period. That home environment is incredible. I've been to when they hosted Auburn. And I've been when they played Northwestern State. And my ears ring all the same. Their student section is a wall of noise. The Aggie yells that they do. Incredible. So I want to throw some stuff out there. Positive stuff about this team. Because that's about all positive I have to say for them this year. Uh, they're a noisy program. I don't like noisy programs. Miami has been a noisy program. The Texas Longhorns, who I've kind of flipped sides on this year, and Texas A&M. Those are my three beacons of noise and inconsistency and politicking and off-the-field stuff that just doesn't correlate to wins on the field, no matter how much talent they're, they're rostering. And last year, look, they went 1-5 one and, and one-score games. I don't, I don't see that repeating, but I also don't see a huge improvement on that. Because what? You're going to take them in a, in a toss-up game with Alabama? Yeah, they've come close a couple times, but I'm probably taking the tide in that. At Tennessee? I, I don't know if I want to walk into Neyland Stadium and and, and test that crowd in that team. So, you know, I think they're overrating the numbers again this year. I'm going to continue fading them until I'm wrong. Maybe that's a, a, an incorrect way of looking. At it. I know in the betting community it's always forward-thinking. But until this team proves that they can actually take the talent that they have on their roster and turn it into a good number of wins, because look... Remove the 2020 COVID year when they went nine and one. They're they they have a winning percentage of 60% since 2018. So until I see them actually do it on the field, I'm I'm going to continue fading them. Uh, my numbers have um 7.8 wins. So so I'm right in step with you there.
1: Final thing on the eggs, Brett, before we move on, because I want to be clear for the record, both with this podcast as well as just myself moving forward. You say they have great fans, maybe not the nicest. I'm not looking for any fan base to be quote nice to me on on Twitter. I know what Twitter is and what it is, and I'm not looking for nice. I'm looking for fair. So when you've come at me, oh, you're and, not getting and, that. and, and no <laughs> fan base does this. I know, but this is my this is my take with Texas NM this year or last year, West Virginia last year. I say the things that I say about teams, and it's really not even me, it's my numbers, uh, what the numbers are suggesting about a team, and there's all this uproar, there's all this anger, there's no way we're gonna be way better, we're, no no way, no way, no way. Then the end of the season comes, my actually had you as projecting with more wins than you got. You don't hear from anyone. And again, I get it. You hear from the people who you projected four wins for and they got six or they got seven. I heard from Kansas fans. You told us there's only a 1% chance we'd go bowling. Well, we went bowling. You're darn right. You did go bowling. You deserve it. Good on you. I'm excited as anybody that Kansas is going bowling. I'm not, still not going to pick you to go bowling this year. I think it's like a 40-something percent chance this year. But you hear about the, the uh, from the fans whose team you underrated coming into the year, not those that you overrated or that you took a slightly more modest approach with than the national media, even if you end up being right. So, again, not looking for nice. I know we're not going to get that. I'm looking for fair. Ah, I know I'm not going to get that either, just for the record.
0: I, I want to talk about Florida, too, because this is a team that's been splitting people in half. I, I just – you're either – On the side that yeah they're as good as these preseason numbers say or or no they're overrated I think this is probably the fourth time I've said it across these episodes I think Florida's pretty overrated case in point and I don't want to strip it down to just this but like Graham Mertz is their quarterback one this year he was just announced as a starter I'm gonna fade him I'm gonna fade any team led by Graham Mertz he's atrocious he's gonna go into the SEC and play SEC defenses all day long and 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 we'll see. now, to be fair, Florida should have a pretty strong run game. Travis Etienne, Montrell Johnson, that, that's a great duo in the backfield, one of the better in the conference, I think. Their offensive line is questionable. Phil Steele doesn't have any unit across this team besides special teams ranks better than 5th, and most are ninth or worse in the SEC alone. Defense, I think, will be pretty strong, but do know that they lose pass rusher Justice Boone for the season. He's, he's gone. He's a, a sophomore. I believe he tore his ACL, and he's out for the season. To me, they have the second-hardest schedule in the in the country, they play at Utah, and they catch Florida State in the non-con. That is uh, that that's a tough couple of draws there. Plus, they're playing their typical SEC West. They also play th- or East. Pardon me. They play three consecutive opponents off a of bye week. South Carolina. They played Georgia, who to be fair, they're also coming off a bye. But then they also play Arkansas off a bye after that Georgia game, and I think that's a tough spot for them.
1: That's brutal for them. And Brett, so we've just flipped our number one and two. I uh, you had Ole Miss. Number one, Florida two, I'm going the other way. This conversation for me starts and ends, like you said, with the schedule. Projecting as the most difficult in the entire country, for me, the average top 25 team would be expected to win just 7.7 games against Florida's schedule. I'm going to slow down and say it again. The average top 25 team, so think Notre Dame, Oregon, Utah, whoever you're putting kind of in the middle, 10 to, 10 to 15 of your top 25, my numbers would expect that team to go approximately eight and four against Florida's schedule. That's brutal. That's wild. That's nuts. It's whatever adjective you want to put in there. It's incredibly difficult. Florida's currently projecting as an underdog in seven games this year. So even though I expect this team will be better than last year, kind of, kind of like um, I can't remember what team I was talking about with that earlier. Ole Miss, I think it was. Yeah, well, yeah, Ole Miss, We had the second most difficult. Expecting the team to be better than last year, I'm not sure the final win-loss r- record. Is going to reflect that. Florida fans, I truly believe Billy Napier is the right guy for the job. Six and six is the most likely record this year, just a 39% chance to win seven plus regular season games. A six and six this year, even though it won't be a record improvement on last year, to me would most likely, I need to see how the games are played out and how my power ratings are adjusting accordingly. Let's re- revisit at the end of the year. But it's likely that a six and six record this year is showing improvement for a program that has needed a little bit of retooling need to get kind of revamped and, and structured in the way that Billy Napier wants it to be structured. I know the 2024 schedule is no easier than this year. Napier got dealt a really tough hand with regard to schedules as he enters uh, the second year at Florida this year, and then going into 2024 in his third year, I would ask Florida fans or implore you to keep the faith. Uh, I think he's the right guy. I hope the administration gives him time. I think they will. Cause I think they understood the schedules that he'd be facing. But it's college football. You never know. You lose a game you're not expected to, especially to a place like Florida, where you're coming off a six-win season. It's not good enough there. I get it. Circumstances be damned. It's tough. I think he's the right guy. Keep the faith is what I would say. Six and six, though, is most likely uh, the record that I would expect for Florida this year, even though this is, for me, a top 25 team from a power rating standpoint coming into this year.
0: I have to take the other side. I don't know if they're going to keep the faith in Billy Napier. I, I really don't. There's a program and a fan base that's been overly critical of him from the start. It, 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 he did not get off on the right foot, losing recruits, losing transfers. The whole Jaden Rashada thing did not play very well uh, in Gainesville, I know. I, uh, I like Billy Napier. He did a great job in Louisiana. I think he may be a little bit over his skis. It, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions a little bit far ahead, but it goes beyond just what they're doing, winning, and losing on the field. It goes into... The, the program and, you know, do d- does the NIL collective, do the boosters, does the the Florida the collective as a whole have Napier's back? And I don't know what they do because I haven't heard a lot of positivity coming from the university in his defense. But if you want to see just how difficult this schedule is, I'm, I'm flipping through my power ratings. Florida comes in at 23 in the preseason, and they have a win total set at 5.5. You'd have to scroll down to the 44th ranked team being Michigan State. To find a win total that is that low, uh, it, it's it's incredible. It, it, you know, Florida could be talented and, and have you know be highly power rated all season, but man alive, if if, if they're not going to win a ton of games. And the other anomaly too is when I look at them this year. If you look at their last five recruiting rankings, they are 12.4 over the past five years. The two teams directly ahead of them this year in in, in the power ratings, Kansas State and Oregon State, averaged 53rd and 63rd, respectively just to give you an idea of where other teams are progressing with their uh, talent versus what Florida has been able to or unable to do. But I want to stay in the SEC East and talk about a team I'm actually really excited about, the Kentucky Wildcats. I'm going to be up front. I like this team a lot this year. I, I want to run this by some people. The stark difference with and without offensive coordinator Liam Cohen is ridiculous. Before Liam Cohen came to Lexington, They didn't crack the top 50 in points per drive scored since at least 2011. That's how far back the data goes. It probably goes back farther than that. Liam Cohen comes to town. They finish 15th. Pretty incredible. Not top fifty, then 15th in 2021. Then Liam Cohen goes on a sabbatical to Los Angeles Rams. And Kentucky brings back largely the same number of players, including Will Levis. And they drop to 95th in points per drive. He made Will Levis look like a viable NFL quarterback. In you know why? Why do you think folks looked at it and said, oh, "Just throw away the 2022 tape. Look at the 2021 tape. That's what Will Levis is. No, that's what Liam Cohen is. I think he's an awesome, awesome, awesome coordinator. If you don't know his name now, you will by the end of the year. I'm still on my soapbox with Devin Leary. He was at NC State. He was my pre. He was on my preseason Heisman long shots list. I put a flyer on him last year. That really didn't work out. Injuries, and I think Tim Beck's system at NC State, we talked about in the Sun Belt episode, I don't think it's great. I don't think he did him any favors. This year, I'm not quite back in the Heisman talk, but I think he's going to be excellent. And the SEC doesn't have a lot of great quarterbacks this year. I think he could be one of the better ones. The offensive line is not nearly where they were in 2021, which is a concern, but I just can't help but think that Liam Cohen coming back to Kentucky is a huge, huge boost to the Wildcats.
1: When you say you really like them Brett, what t- tell me tell me more. Like not not about the specifics like you you've done that, but like you like them to what? Get over their win season, win total, which I'm actually not even sure what it is. You like them to make a run at the SEC East? I don't think so based on what we talked about with Georgia, but like you <laughs> what is it that you like from that scenario because I want to try to wrap my head around it before I kind of get into them too a little bit.
0: Yeah, so I think if I'm going to jump on the Kentucky bandwagon, it's probably going to be on a week-to-week basis and I'll see how okay. the market Reacts them because I, pr- I make them for seven wins, which is right on their win total of seven. No, they are not making a run at the SEC East. Let sh- me be clear about that. But to
1: be the second team, hmm? maybe. Okay. Yeah, no, I, th- oh, that's fair. And, and, there's so I have Kentucky right now power rated number four in the SEC East behind Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Kentucky, but with Florida, I mean, they're right there. I have Florida at 25, Kentucky at 27. Uh, it take a little bit for Tennessee, but they do get Tennessee at home off a of buy. Um, so that's, that's worth noting here on the schedule this year. I just wanted to understand where you were and I, I can, I can respect the week to week thing. Cause I do think there's some games on the schedule. Again, I don't know what the Vegas lines are going to look like, but I think Kentucky's going to have a chance uh, to really go on some, some streaky runs here. I, I said, I am 27 coming into this year. This could be the best Kentucky team we've seen since 2018. The defense could be a legit top 10 unit, um, but I do have concerns about the offense. I know you're talking about Liam Cohn and he's back and this and, and we saw the progression. I'll give you that. I'm I'm good with it. My current projections have him around number sixty. They could very easily rise well above that, but for right now, that's where they are. A 4-0 start is expected for this team. They got home games against Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, and Akron before opening up SEC play on the road at Vanderbilt. So this team should be 4-0 heading into a Week 5 game uh, against Florida. Next three games, like I said, home against Florida, at Georgia, and home against Missouri. That makes a 6-1 and start a real possibility. Let's assume the Georgia game's a loss, have that as a 22-and-a-half point game it's not nothing, but uh, a 6% chance to win that game on the road at Georgia. going to be difficult. If you're able to pick up Florida and Missouri, who I have as Kentucky favorite by 2, Kentucky favored by 5, you could be 6-1 going into your bye, and you're getting Tennessee on the other side. But the Wildcats end the year with five straight games um, without being a projected favorite. So it's the back half that's going to be really difficult, but if they can be 6-1 going into that, maybe they've got momentum, maybe everyone's feeling really good, and this team is poised to be that second-best team in the SEC East. My numbers are suggesting 7 to 5, the most likely. You said you make them for about 7. I'm making them for about 6.9. Anywhere between 6 and 8 wins is the strong, realistic range of outcomes here. Uh, I've got a 33% chance to win 8-plus games. Uh, But again, 7 and 5, looking like the most likely. And I do think maybe, depending on where the lines shake out, uh, there could be some week-to-week stuff there for Kentucky because I, I could see it being a very streaky schedule in terms of game results. Winning a bunch, middle, we're not so sure, and then at the end likely being an underdog, um, maybe picking up more L's at the end. But who knows? If they're off to a good start, it could be different. Well, and the other
0: thing too is those those final games after they're by, Tennessee at Mississippi State versus Alabama at South Carolina at Louisville. You're a big proponent on handle your toughest games at home and they certainly do so. No, I'm not saying they're going to beat Alabama and probably not Tennessee if Tennessee shakes out to be how I appraise them. But I'm going to be honest. Mississippi State... Lots of questions. South Carolina, you know, Shane Beamer gets his guys up to play, but I, I don't know that I'm a huge believer in, in South Carolina this year. And at Louisville, we talked about Louisville on our ACC podcast. I'm I'm kind of confounded by the by the level of excitement for the Louisville Cardinals this year with massive turnover. Now, I know that that is a rivalry game, and it's, it's late in the year, so they do have their time to get together, but I, I'm seeing – uh, a, a, a almost dead even pick them, a, a half a point less than in favor for Mississippi State and South Carolina. I have a one point one spread at Louisville. I, I mean, these are winnable games. I, I can. It's flawed to go down a schedule and point out and say I can find this many wins, but I can find nine wins on Kentucky's schedule. No, I don't I, have to do a lot of squinting for it.
1: I'm with you for sure. I agree 100% on those lines. I got Mississippi State by one against Kentucky, and then I got South Carolina and Louisville both as pick'ems currently. So absolutely, and yes, I'm with you. I hate, and I just did it too, I hate going down and win-loss, win-loss. We don't do that. The numbers don't work that way, but for the purposes of trying to give a realistic range of win outcomes at the end of the year, it's hard for a human brain not to assign those as you're going down. So I'm with you 100%. While I said that I don't have Kentucky as a favorite in any of their final five games, three of them are either two pick'ems and one, they're a one point dog, which by the time those games roll around in late October or early November, those, they could be Kentucky favored. So yes, I'm with you in terms of, I see the upside here. I'm just not quite sold uh, right now as this being the second best team in the sec East, even though they definitely do have that ceiling, especially if they get that win at home against Tennessee in week nine. That'd be big. That'd be, oh boy, if they, if they beat Tennessee,
0: 10 wins is on the table. I, yeah. I'll say it now. I'm probably going to be back in Kentucky on a weekly basis at this point. So before we close, because I wanted to get at least each team mentioned, I know we're running a bit longer on this, but I don't mind. It's the SEC. There's a lot to say. I want to do rapid fire buy and sell. where it's going to go through the rest of the teams that we haven't talked about yet. We're doing them in alphabetical-ish order. Not really kind of a random order here, but I want to get your temperature on that. And we're gonna, I'm going to start with the
1: Arkansas Razorbacks. Buy in Arkansas. I love Sam Pittman. think he's a perfect fit for Arkansas. 56% chance to exceed last year's regular season win total of six.
0: Yeah, I'll buy them too. I don't mind hiring Dan Enos to replace at uh, offensive coordinator. Um, talented team, KJ Jefferson, sign me up. Auburn Tigers.
1: Probably not popular. I'm going to buy Auburn. Say what you will about him off the field. Hugh Freeze wins games on it. Uh, 76% chance to exceed last year's regular season win total of five.
0: Uh, to exceed last year, certainly by, uh, I think, year one, I'm going to sell. I, I don't think Peyton Thorne is, is really a great quarterback. I would actually go to the territory of saying he's a, he's a below-average quarterback. Uh, and when I look at teams like this, if you don't have a, a reliable quarterback, I, I, I'm going to sell you. That's, that's going to be a recurring theme this year. Uh, tough one, Mississippi State.
1: Yeah, I had to like double-check this one, Brett, before we got into it. I'm going to sell Mississippi State. This team finished number 14 in my power ratings last year and comes into this year number 34. So significant step back, just a 23% chance to match or exceed last year's regular season win total of eight.
0: Yeah, I don't love that they went away from the air raid system by bringing in uh, Appalachian State's offensive coordinator to, to replace. I'm not a huge fan of that, but... This team won football games on the back of a defense last year. It wasn't really the air raid and scoring a ton of points that won them a lot of games. That defense was very strong. I, God, I feel so bad doing it, but I think I have to sell just given the circumstance around the team. That's a tough thing. They can rally around it. I get it, but I have not seen Zach Arnett as a head coach
1: and and all new coaching staff. So I probably sell them. South Carolina. I do weekly radio uh, during the season in South Carolina with, with Mark Ryan on the fan upstate. South Carolina fans don't like me. I think Clemson fans probably are okay with me. My numbers seem to like them. It's a to surprise South Carolina fans. I'm going to buy them. Shane Beamer seems to have the right mix of ingredients. There are these synergies going on at South Carolina that my model can't necessarily capture, but it's all positive momentum. That said, there's only a 13% chance to match or exceed last year's regular season win total of 8. I'm projecting 5.9 wins, 61% chance to go bowling, and and 6-6 is the most likely record, which is why South Carolina fans don't like me, because I'm saying this team that won 8 games last year, bringing back their quarterback, and lots of other pieces is only going to go 6-6. and But I'm going to buy South Carolina as a program, because I do think Shane Beamer seems to have it rolling there better than anyone has, uh, with the exception of maybe the old ball coach for a few years there in the early 2010s.
0: I will also buy South Carolina. I I buy into what Shane Beamer is doing there. Awesome culture. I also love that they're a landmine with a ceiling that can beat literally anybody in the country going into Columbia, South Carolina. Anybody has a chance to stub their toe against Gamecocks, and I think
1: that's why I'm going to buy them. Uh, Missouri Tigers. I'll buy Missouri. Finished last year number 57. They enter this year number 38. uh, 64% chance to match or exceed last year's regular season win total of six.
0: I will also buy. uh, I think Brady Cook's fine. People give them a lot of crap. I think they have a good defense and, and a decent quarterback, well-coached. Uh,
1: Vanderbilt. I'm going to sell Vanderbilt. Uh, this team should be more talented than last year's squad, but the Commodores did overachieve last year with regard to win-loss record. I expect a bit of regression this year, Uh 35% chance to match or exceed last year's regular season win total of five. Vanderbilt's a team <laughs> They just get lost in the shuffle in the SEC year in, year out.
0: I'm with you there. I I, I have to sell them. Although, and we'll talk about this this next week, uh, my numbers say that they should be a shorter favorite against Hawaii, but I don't see how they don't hang another 55 on them. Um, but we'll talk about that another day. Yeah, I, I have to sell uh, Vanderbilt as a program. Anyway, that is our SEC preview. A little bit long in the tooth, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot to talk about, and I'm very excited for this league coming into 2023, the last edition before we get a couple more big names to uh, to muddy it over a little bit. Hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans, get live updates in the college football channel, and join a very sharp and growing active community because football is in the air. So we're getting active back on there again. Don't forget to subscribe to Align's YouTube for daily sports betting strategy videos. And comment your thoughts on the SEC. We all got them. If you're watching them, I'm sure you have a couple of thoughts. Let us know down below if you agree or disagree with us. And also subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the whole nine yards. Kelly, before we get out of here, please let everyone listening and watching know where they can
1: find your work. Yeah, for sure. You can find me on Twitter, at KFordRatings. I also have the website, KFordRatings.com. Well, thank you so much, everyone, as always, for watching.
0: I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.